Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of Brown Girls Read podcast. This is your host Aman Tiwana and this is Kathy Thakur and both of us love reading books. On this podcast we bring our favorite books to you and discuss the parts that were most meaningful to us and how we found them interesting or relatable as brown girls. Today we have invited the author of the novel Girls Burn Brighter, Shobha Rao for a conversation with us. Girls Burn Brighter is a thought-provoking story at the core of which is this amazing bond between two Indian girls fighting the world to reunite with each other. If you haven't listened to our discussion on the book, please listen to the previous episode where we discussed Girls Burn Brighter. And before we bring Shobha on, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Hi Shobha Hi. and welcome to our podcast Brown Girls Read. We are so glad to have you here and we are so excited to discuss your amazing incredible book Girls Burn Brighter with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We loved your book and we are so happy that you are today here with us. <laughs> I'm delighted. Thank you. Before we begin, I'm sure our listeners would love to have a little introduction about you. So mm-hmm. can you give a little introduction and a background about yourself? Um sure. So I moved from India when I was 7 about 7 7 1/2 years old and we moved to the United States and most of my upbringing was in Indiana. The rest of my childhood and adolescence was in Indiana and now I live in San Francisco, California. How was the move like? Like you moved when you were 7 7 1/2 years old. Yeah. So moving to a whole different country must have been a really great experience. You know, as a child, everything is already full of wonder and newness and everything is a process of discovery. And of course, you know, you move to a new country and then it becomes magnified because now you're in a new country and you have a new language and so and of course your new culture, new people. So it was an incredible transition from India to United States. And also I think I would not have been a writer without having made that move. I think I became a writer the day I landed in in the United States because the way of literature was a way of understanding this new country and it was my primary way to read voraciously and that helped me to understand a country that felt really alien to me obviously as a child and even as an adult when you move to a new country with a new language it can be quite challenging and quite an incredible process of discovery and adventure and so for me as a child one of the biggest ways was to read about you know american books and that was my way of entering this country in a way so yeah it actually enhanced it incredibly that move because i was introduced to literature as a way of learning about myself and others that is so relatable you know like of course yeah, we are brown girls the same thing <laughs> yeah we are brown girls read so that means that we read a lot of books and <laughs> i think books also bring out you know like it introduces you to new cultures and you become just so open in your mind about you know different things different kinds of people going to different places like i'm pretty sure that helped you in your journey as well absolutely and literature i think keeps alive our sense of curiosity and awe about the world and you know about human nature in fact the first book i recall reading once i learned english because i knew hindi and telugu which is my native mm-hmm. mother tongue so i knew those two languages fluently but i didn't know english and so once i learned english after arriving in this country the first book i recall reading is little house on the prairie by laura ingalls wilder and it basically a children's book written in the early 1900s about a little girl who goes on a wagon 
right? And goes from like Wisconsin to Kansas. The point is that that book has shaped my understanding of America, like the pioneer spirit and this uh, spirit of, you know, finding new lands and sort of setting up new home in strange places, in strange unknown places. And not in, and it's so strange because something that was written about a girl in the late 1800s spoke to me in the late 1900s. Felt like we were the same girl. I just came on an airplane and she just came on a wagon, you know? Wow. And, and so I um, always, it's so strange, but even now after all these years, that book to me exemplifies the American spirit in a way that nothing else has really, because it was the formative one, you know, it was the first one. So yeah, books are absolutely our way of inhabiting the world, even if we can't be there in that time or place. So yes, brown girls must read. did you always want to become a writer like did you know that you would become a writer one day you know what Kathy I didn't I'm not one of those people that you know oh they wrote their first novel when they were five years old you know and it's like with crayon I am not one of those children in fact I think I probably didn't really commit to being a writer until my late 20s until then you know I did like engineering and then law school, you know, I just did what the path told me to do. You know what path I'm talking about, right? (laughs) So (laughs) So I followed that path. And then at some point, you know, I had lived a life so rich in stories, in reading them. I thought, you know, I want to write. I think I can tell a story too. And I think at that point I committed in my late twenties, I think I finally had the courage to commit to writing that story, to telling that story. And so, no, I actually didn't come to it very early at all, but it's been a revolution in my life to commit to being a writer and then to walk that path of being a writer. I think you were meant to be because your book is so great. Thank you. Thank you. I so appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of the few books that both of us align on how much we love it because usually we are like okay she loves one book more than I do love another book more but this was one book both of us were like oh wow amazing oh I'm so glad I'm so glad and I mean I would love to talk more about it but I it's so gratifying to hear my brethren my sister and say that they love the book you know because I usually just have a very non-Indian audience a lot of times and so it's so deeply fulfilling to hear you guys say that you love the book and you read it and you loved it because it's like, oh, because you, you were my sisters, you know? And it's, so it's really wonderful to hear that. Thank you. I'll just get on to the questions about the book that we have because we're dying to discuss it with you. <laughs> Would love to. Girls Burn Brighter brings up a lot of issues, right? In mm-hmm. our society in general. But at the core of it, this book is about friendship. Yes. That is Purnima's and Savita's friendship. And it yeah. is amazing and incredible. What we want to ask you is the picture of their friendship. Was it inspired by a friendship like that in your life? You know what, Kathy? I actually, um, this is so strange, but I actually didn't had really strong female friendships until, this is so strange, but this is just life. This is how strange life is. That once I started writing this book, I actually... In the course of writing it, I developed a profound friendship with a fellow writer. Um, We were at a writing residency. And while I was writing it, it felt like it was happening in parallel, which was incredible. She's, you know, obviously still a really, really good friend. And, and, you know, obviously we, she and I 
our friendship has not been tested in, in the way that Purnima and Savitas is. But on the other hand, to know that there's someone in the world who is not family by blood, but family by friendship, to know there's someone in the world that at any moment they will do anything, drop anything to come and lend a hand or to save me in, in whatever context and whatever version that saving requires. It's been an incredible revelation to me in my life and an incredible gift. And it just so happened that it, that friendship formed in the writing of this book. And I don't know how to explain that, you know, like I couldn't have possibly timed it in that way. But now I have this friendship and it has illuminated the telling of the story. So yeah, I now have a friendship that I believe is just like that. And I'm not sure what her version would be, but I certainly believe that it is um, total, you know, in the way that Poonma and Savitas is that it's a total friendship that has no boundaries of, you know, of uh, saying, I cannot do this because it's inconvenient or, or, you know, it's, it's a pure friendship. And I have one now. So I'm delighted and deeply grateful to this friend of mine. That's awesome to hear because I feel like the joy that female friendships bring you is very different from other friendships. Absolutely. And I didn't even know how nuanced and beautiful female friendships are. Of course, I witnessed them, you know, which is why I was able to even write, plan the book and then begin to write it. But then to actually be in one, to be a part of a friendship of that magnitude and of that power, it's incredible. And there's things that I think two women can share in a friendship that is timeless you know, that it just has, there's almost no words. And I'm saying that as a writer, <laughs> that it actually is beyond words. Yeah, yeah we can yeah. totally relate. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about the title of the book also. Yeah. That was a big factor when I initially was attracted to the book because I was like, wow, it sounds so strong. So yeah. I want to know how you came up with it or what led to naming your book this. Okay, so that one, I actually have to say that my editor came up with the title, but I cannot take credit for the title. It was lifted, you know, when I just gave her the manuscript and I said, I don't have a title. And she said, that's fine. We'll figure it out later. So we edited, everything happens. It's about to go into the next stage of going to press and we still didn't have a title. So she said, okay, we're just going to take this weekend and we're going to go through every page and just try to lift phrases. And in one paragraph, I remember Savita um, Guru is asking her something, you know, he's always just being very aggressive towards her. So he asks her something about why do you want a banana or something? And I wrote, she said nothing. She only burned brighter. My editor saw that and said, girls burn brighter. <laughs> and I was like, really? Like it took me a moment, you know, it took me a few days. Then I began to really understand the power of having an open-ended title like that? Because the obvious unspoken part of it is brighter than what? But I love that it's open-ended and brighter than what we give them license to be. Do they burn yes. brighter than the amount of oxygen we give girls? Do they burn brighter than what we allow them to be? That's how I think of it. It's a very open-ended, a very sort of intense exploration of what it is to be brighter than what we're allowed to be, you know? And that to me is how I think of the title. And so once I realized that, it has had a powerful resonance for me. And I love it now, even though I was kind of hesitant in the beginning, because I think I have very much, not 
just in India. I mean, I just want to be perfectly clear. Even in Indiana, I saw how the lives of women and girls were curtailed and how they were bounded by whether it's legislation or patriarchy or, you know, whatever force it is. The lives of women and girls all over the world are limited. And by the title, what I wanted to say is, no, they burn brighter than all of those things and all of those obstacles and all of those sort of cages and borders and boundaries. So I now love the title and I'm so glad that you guys do too. Oh yeah, I think it has so much power in it. Just holding that book in your hand gives you some sort of power, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. so glad. And the obviously I, I didn't make the cover, but that cover, the minute I saw it, I was like, of course. No other cover, you know? There's something about it that just draws the eye and the flame and the sort of just how magnificent it is. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful flame against like a very pale pink. So anyway, I really love the cover, which I think matches beauty of that title, neither of which I came up with. (laughs) I didn't come up with the cover or the title, but I love them both. Okay, then let's talk about something that I'm sure you came up with, Okay, which which is just the very beginning of the book, the prologue. It's such a strong, powerful beginning of the book. The temple and the whole story, I kept thinking about it through the entire book and sort of also waited for it to come back in some Uh way. So I really wanted to understand what was the significance of the story for you or why did you decide to start your book in that way? Well, I'm from South India in Andhra Pradesh and my grandparents lived in a village that very much is um, the village that Purnima and Savita are in. I lifted many, many aspects of the village that I grew up in. Uh, well, I didn't grow up. I grew up in Kanpur, but <laughs> uh, in Uttar Pradesh, but uh, my grandparents lived in Andhra Pradesh. And there was a temple, is a temple, I should say, midway up this really big mountain, you know, that is, that abuts the village. And as a child, I would look at this temple and there was, you know, usually a light in that temple that some priest would have lighted. And it just held such, you know, magnetism for me. I just would stare and stare at that temple. And, you know, in India, sometimes you sleep on the roof, you know, on hot nights. And so can you imagine I'm sleeping on, you know, and I'm just (laughs) lying there with my eyes open and watching this temple. And so this temple has very much, and it's doors because the doors have to be open to see the deity and to see the Agni, like the, the, the fire. Right. And so I think at some level, subconscious, probably, I thought a lot about this temple and its doors and that light. And they all sort of held an incredible sway over my imagination, even after many years, right? Even after many years having not even seen that temple. But the story of the old woman is actually based on a newspaper article I read about an old woman in India who was tending grove full of trees inexplicably like there was no reason for her to do so and and she was not tasked and it was not her job to do so she just loved the trees and so I wanted to sort of marry those images of an old woman tending these trees for the love of trees and then of course the temple doors being lumbered from these trees but then in also thinking about trees and their resilience and how they withstand so much in the environment and in the soil and and so forth, and yet persist and not just persist, but flourish and give us 
such incredible clean our air, give us such environmental gifts that I just wanted to celebrate that strangely. And this was an amazing way to bring all of those things together. And Daman, I'm so glad you were thinking about it throughout the book because it does in some way thread itself. Even though I never bring her up again, there's a very fine silken thread of that resilience and those trees that I hope weaves itself through the story. And so I'm so glad that it did. Wow. That's mind-blowing, actually. Like, you know, in this writing process, what comes back from your childhood to you that you can, you know, weave in the story? It's mind-blowing. What's so interesting is, you know, people, like, of course, now with cell phones, it's even more ubiquitous. But people taking pictures all over the place, you know. And I just never take my cell phone out, (laughs) you know. And people are like, oh, don't you want to get a picture of that? And I'm like, you know what? As a writer, as a creative person, and as just a human being, I think we have lost this incredible trust we must have that everything that we witness and see and smell, they live inside of us. Pictures will obviously stop it and capture it, but they live, breathe inside of us. I really trust the creative process and the power of memory to just bring these two rivers together. I've been amazed by the things as I'm writing that I've recalled. I mean, just stuff from like years ago, some small detail. And I deeply trust in that process because we can't capture the green of every blade of grass that we see and love, right? We can't capture the sound of every river that we put our feet into. We cannot, but we can close our eyes and be there. And I really, really think we carry it inside of us for the rest of our lives. Kathy Jett, that temple story with as a child of five years old, I had no idea that it would make an appearance, you know, all those mm-hmm. decades later. So yeah, I do really, really deeply trust in the power of the imagination and memory to remember and to weave those things into the tapestry of our lives. Yeah. That's such a beautiful thought that you know you yeah, cannot it's so profound. Yeah. And I'm thinking like that explains why you are not on Instagram. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, that's so true. I mean, we could have another four-hour discussion on social media, but let's, let's just keep going. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Restaurant.com. With Restaurant.com, you can save at thousands of restaurants across the country with just a few clicks. Their dining deals range from $5 to $100, never expire, and cost you a fraction of the face value. Dinner has never been easier with Restaurant.com. Use for dine-in, take-out or delivery. Restaurant.com is offering our listeners 50% off their next purchase by going to www.restaurant.com slash podcast. That's www.restaurant.com slash podcast for 50% off your next purchase. Restaurant.com, the best deal every meal. I want to tell you about a podcast I recently discovered that I know you are going to love. If you're like me, you might have thought about learning a language, but maybe you found it too daunting or too boring. Well, if you want to learn Spanish and connect with the 572 million people who speak Spanish around the world, you should definitely check out the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast. Every week, host Tamara Murray brings you one step closer to fluency by making language learning fun and effortless. Learn Spanish con salsa immerses you in Latino culture and teaches Spanish through music and conversation. Delete all those boring robotic language learning apps and listen to authentic Spanish you can use in conversations with real people. 
Subscribe to the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast now and hear a new episode every Tuesday. Just search for Learn Spanish Con Salsa wherever you are listening to this podcast. This book has so many real issues that are plaguing our society, be it Indian society or even the American culture. Any any society. So you know like human trafficking, there's rape, there's domestic violence. So yes. I'm really curious like what is your writing process? Like how did you research on these things? Yeah, have you guys heard of My3? Many many years ago, I was a legal advocate at My3. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. And I loved my time there. It was and continues to be the richest job experience, life experience I've ever had. During my time there, I was a legal advocate for a victim of human trafficking, among others, obviously. But specifically with her, it, it was just life changing because I witnessed her resilience, her joyousness in the world, her sense of generosity. I mean, she would bring me ladoos or something, you know, and I'd be like, no, 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 I should be, you know. I mean, and she was such a resplendent person, and I would just go home thinking, how? How is that possible when you've had a price, you've been bought and sold? Like how is that possible? And that question has haunted me. And in the writing of the book, I wanted to work through that haunting personally, but more so I wanted to celebrate her and all the women like her that I worked with who had such incredible courage in the face of incredible violence and challenges I could not even begin to imagine. And so I wanted to celebrate the courage and the resilience and the joy that these women still had and they were mostly women. That I think is an inspiration for the book. Having said that, I didn't have to do much research. I did of course research various like roads and logistical things, times, buses, that kind of thing, but in terms of the journey of the two girls, I didn't have to research very much because I had worked with clients who had experienced similar things. So, that was my inspiration, real life, as it usually is. Once I left my job there, I knew I wanted to write about focus on the lives of women and the very unique challenges faced by women and girls in the world. And again, like you guys said, not in India, not here, everywhere. And I think that's something that is very very important to me to understand that it's everywhere and I'm not just like confronting just one society or one culture. I would not be being truthful to the actual experience of women and girls in the world by limiting my scope. But the characters happen to be Indian yeah. because I'm Indian. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, this actually... is giving me goosebumps that you actually have interacted with a person who has inspired this story. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know how long you guys have been in the Bay Area, but do you guys remember the get case in Berkeley of the human trafficking ring? So I also heard about this case during my experience at Maitri and I think it has happened years ago so oh, yeah. it's not like yeah. it happened when I was here but yeah. when I was reading the book I was like it is that person like it, it it's like <laughs> just the same story I kept thinking that in our previous episode Kathy and I even discussed it and uh-huh. it's just horrible it's so horrible like yes that I mean, person was not... like a respected person back in India I just can't believe it and a respected yeah. um you know real estate a uh, restauranter here in Berkeley yeah. you know? and i mean to me the most shocking thing was well it had so many shocking things but the fact that it was happening in berkeley one of the most progressive communities in the united yes. states and in fact it was originally in my writing of it was it was based in berkeley 
mm-hmm. trafficking ring. Uh, but for, again, for logistical reasons, I had to move it to Seattle, uh, something to do with having them get to South Dakota. It just was mm-hmm. easier for me to have them in Seattle. And it, you know, it doesn't matter again, right? Because it happens everywhere. And that was the point. I'm not saying it was modeled after that, but certainly the human trafficking victims that I worked with were involved. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I think that for many, I was, I lived in San Francisco at the time when that story broke. And I think I walked around in a daze, just in shock for literally weeks, if not months, you know, thinking, how is it possible? You think it's somewhere on the other side of the planet and, oh, those poor people all the way on the other side of the world, how difficult it must be. And that was a wake up call. I mean, a serious wake up call saying, no, 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 no. These people are not on the other side of the planet. They are in your neighborhoods, under your nose, and they are being violated and deeply criminal, horrific activities are happening just around us. I have not been able to shed myself of that shock, even after all these years. You know, Girls Burn Brighter was a catharsis of sorts. You know, it was a way of just saying, here it is. (laughs) You know, I'm just going to some part of that culpability that we all have, some part of that, some small part of that, I'm going to make peace with by writing it out. But that doesn't release me. You know, I'm not like, oh, I'm done now. (laughs) It's an ongoing struggle to bring equality and freedom and choice and to make sure that no one is disenfranchised in the world. And certainly no one is bought and sold. And so that is something that I am deeply, passionately, uh, I guess, you know, still very much haunted by. But we have to live in the world. And so in order to do so, what I wanted to do was focus on the joyousness and the courage and strength that I saw in these women in the writing of the book. And you did a great job at that, like, you you know, bringing all these stories in the front of the world and making them realize that this is not just something that's happening in third world countries, right? This is also something that happens here right next to you. There was a line, I think, I don't know if you guys remember where I said, you know, we are all middlemen. And I truly believe that. And that is not to say that we shouldn't live lives of great joy, but also recognize our part in this fabric of oppression. Thank you for sending that message out. Like it's a really great message. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) So I want to also talk about some male characters. I think uh-huh. Mohan is one of the male characters in the book who comes out to be a little bit grayish. Like every other male is just trying to oppress all the women and, yes. you know, take advantage of them. But Mohan is the one who has a little bit of a grayish character, I guess. So yeah. I wanted to ask, like, what was your motivation behind that? Like, what did you want to show to the people? Well, one of them was pragmatic, right? I needed somebody to take Purnima. <laughs> <laughs> right? right to to <laughs> across the country like drive her across the country. so that's a pragmatic thing right but other part of it is i think that this is a novel about the friendship of two girls one of whom was trafficked and the other who sets out to find her so i had to make decisions around you know am i going to take the time to humanize the traffickers you know, am I going to take the time to like, just give them these beautiful dimension lives where they have loved ones? And Because they do, of course they do. But with Mohan, I thought, let's just take one person <laughs> who's a trafficker and actually say, look, yes, great evil exists inside of him. So does the capacity for great good. I wanted to take the time to humanize one character at the very least, because there was 
actually no time to humanize all of them. But what I wanted to highlight in the course of talking about the other men in the book is they are businessmen. They are in the business of buying and selling girls and women. But I'll take one of them. And because I need him, I need him to actually drive one of the girls. But I also need him to show that, look, it's not a you know, monolithic thing, right? Yeah. These people are people too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I chose him, Mohan, to be conflicted and to have a car. I mean, basically, yeah. right? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so I, I just had to make choices around how I was going to depict the men. I don't think, honestly, that a guy, a woman or a man who's trafficking in women and girls has the time to befriend each girl and to give her, you know, chocolates and, you know, get to know her. I don't think they are in the business of doing that. That's just my guess. I don't actually know anyone who traffics, but I'm going to guess that they don't take you know, each of the girls home for Diwali or something. I'm thinking they just buy and sell them, right? Course, yeah. And I think that's what I wanted to depict. Like, look, this is a business, but one person I needed. And that happened to be Mohan. Humanizing of Mohan left me so conflicted. Like there were times when he was drunk and he would say oh, how like he had no choice but to just follow the path parents set, like had to be yeah. a engineer. And he says something like that. He yeah. wanted to do literature. That. I was like, okay, now I can relate to this person. I don't want to relate <laughs> no, to this person. To. Like, he, yeah. he does such horrible things and unforgiving right. things. I don't want to relate to him. So I was just super conflicted with that guy. <laughs> I'm so glad because you know that's the thing. No one is purely evil. I think it's more convenient to think that there's a binary. People are either good or evil. But come on, we all know that is not true seemingly good people we do not so nice things we make not so egalitarian decisions and you know i think i'm all for great people i love great uh-huh. people in all scenarios but not this not, not in trafficking <laughs> i'm so glad you said that because it's it's true right i mean even in the case in berkeley like that guy like helped feed the poor and you know in his village and he started an engineering college I don't know. I mean, obviously that money was gotten through awful, awful means. Again, I'm not some great arbiter or, you know, sitting in great judgment, but I do think that there must be, even in the most awful people, a moment or two in every day when they see the sunrise and think, oh, how beautiful. One thing that I noticed that I felt is deliberate, the contrast that you created between Savita's father and Purnima's father. Uh-huh. So we see that Savita's father is an alcoholic who cannot provide for the family. The entire society looks down upon him. Yeah. Whereas Purnima's father, he makes some money. Society thinks he's a great man who right. provides for family despite the fact that he has daughters. So it's yeah. always like that. You're yeah. so great. You are even like giving food to daughters. Right. And then he does that heinous act. Right. Even then, the punishment was to just marry the girl. Like, how is that a punishment? But that just to me goes to show that how society just kind of relates the whole morality thing to money making for men. Yes. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of this strange 20th century phenomena and now 21st century phenomena where money equals greatness. Like once you're rich, you must obviously be great and obviously be wise and obviously be smart and obviously have some sort of incredible 
insight into the human condition, right? That can then impart to all of us. And I am a firm believer that that is completely untrue. Money is an indicator of certain privilege, incredible privilege, resources, access, family history, probably, color of your skin, opportunities, education. I mean, we can just go on and on and on. Also true. Also true. Yeah. And so when people start talking about people with money, knowing something more than the rest of us do, or, or in some way being held up as an example, I reject it outright because I want to know exactly how they got their money, what obstacles were put in their way. And I just need to see their entire life story <laughs> before I will give any admiration to that acquisition of money. And I think that that's what I was trying to explore with Purnima's father, who, you know, as you pointed out, Daman, he doesn't actually, he's not actually that rich, but just in the context of that socioeconomic level, he's doing better than most. And with uh, Savita's father, who's incredibly kind, but he's not respected at all because he has no money. And I think that was something I wanted to explore how in the past couple of hundred years, it shifted, you know, where the scholars back in the old days would have the most respect, the scholars and the poets and the, you know, and now it's become the people with money, right? I mean, obviously, I'm not saying like, obviously, the monarchies and the kings and queens, they all had it too. And they were obviously products of incredible privilege. But what I'm saying that, you know, now it's shifted from people with creative gifts or, or, or just gifts of craftsmen. And it's shifted from that to people with money. And boom, that's it. They're obviously better than us. I don't buy that at all. Mm-hmm. I reject it, in fact. And so I think that that's part of what I was trying to explore with that dichotomy of the two fathers. Yeah, that's a great reminder, actually, to all of us, I think. Yeah. Because now you said we worship those big CEOs, like exactly. CEOs of billion-dollar companies. And all of us want to be like them. But, right. you know, none of us actually go back to their history of how hard they have worked what mm-hmm. things they have done to be where they are right now. Like sometimes you cannot even, you know, imagine what, not only like what they've gone through, but what they have done to other people, you know? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we only see the success stories now. We never see a full story. So it's like, yeah. oh, this guy, when he came here, he had 10 bucks. Now he has made this. But yeah. nobody nobody is talking about the connections he has. And absolutely. maybe he's a guy with skin privilege. Or just Absolutely. male privilege or yeah. you know, something else. We yeah. don't know the whole story. We don't. And I, I want to know what exactly he's overcome and what was he given, right? What opportunities was he given, he or she? And yeah, I, I just think that to worship that outright makes for an incredibly empty society. We also know so many brands which are big brands, but they are having their factories in like third world countries, which are like really bad work conditions. So that tells you the kind of people they are. They don't care about humanity, right? They just want to make money. I buy stuff made in Bangladesh where I'm sure, you know, the textile workers are fighting for, you know, a proper bathroom break. We're all middlemen. I am culpable. But I think when you have incredible resources and six, seven, eight figures to your name, then you have the power to do something, to make changes, right? Oh, and the other thing that I want to bring in is the aspect of luck. Like, I think that's always lost, you know, the whole right place at right time. That doesn't just happen. There's an element of luck involved. So I want to also point out that, that that's one of the factors that no one can account for. Somebody just as able, just as intelligent, just as capable as the person who ends up making all the money and having all the resources. It could have been sheer luck. And that's something we 
you know, we cannot account for, which is why I think we kind of ignore it. Yeah. Wow. We're having so many good conversations. I love it. I know. This is so intense. (laughs) Fantastic. I love it. Thank you. We're almost done with all the questions about the book. Uh Uh, And now we want to, you know, move on to some lighthearted conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Let's try. (laughs) So one of the things that we wanted to ask is what are you reading right now? Like, and what books do you recommend? Okay, so I have to take a step back and say I'm working on another novel now. So I try not to read concurrently to when Mm -hmm. I'm writing because, you know, you start writing in the way uh, of the book that you're reading. But I can read nonfiction. So I'm reading this book called Secondhand Time by Svetlana Alexevich. And she's from Belarus, I believe. The first book I read of hers was called Voices of Chernobyl. And they're both incredible. And this is about the fall of the Soviet Union. And what she does is she just goes to different people that have lived during, in the first book, it was Chernobyl, during the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. Now it's the fall of the Soviet Union. And she just talks to them and records their thoughts and how they live those times. And she just puts it down. It's oral histories of those people, told by those people. And it's incredible. I mean, I, you know, I don't know how to describe it to make it seem, but it's just deeply felt, beautiful, heart-wrenching stories of people who lived through some incredibly difficult, tumultuous times. As for fiction, right before I started writing, I read a book called Hurricane Season by, I think her name is Fernanda Melchior, M-E-L-C-H-I-O-R. And it was really uh, an amazing read. Uh, difficult at times, but really amazing. I like the author Alfreda Jelinek. She's Austrian and she wrote a novel called Women Without Men. And that's a really good one. As you can tell, I read a lot of books in translation. I love books from different parts of the world and how we as thinkers, our ways of thinking differed. I think it's really important to read from other parts of the world so that we understand what they're preoccupied by. So yeah, I would recommend those three. Thanks for sharing. I'm definitely going to look that up. So you said you're working on your next book now. Any sneak peek you can give to oh, us or our listeners? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, since I left India at such a young age, I wanted to actually write a book set in America, almost exclusively in America, because this has been my adopted home. My first collection of short stories, An, An Unrestored Woman, was also almost in India or Pakistan, because it was about partition. And so... For this book, I wanted to really challenge myself to set it in the United States. So that has been probably the most challenging, the most frustrating, (laughs) throw the computer across the room decision I've ever made. (laughs) Because there's something, something about the United States and my experience of living here, growing up here, being an American, you know, All of those things, something is keeping, there's some sort of veil that I feel like I can't seem to access to write thing that's inside me. So that's a huge struggle for which there is no real answer. So I'm really challenging myself. That's what I will say about my next book. I don't even have a title. So I have a long road ahead, but if we're challenging ourselves, then we're alive. That's true. Yeah. 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 Yeah, We hope you have your breakthrough soon. Because we are dying to read more of your work. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I will keep that in mind. (laughs) Just for the two of you. (laughs) Before we end our conversation today, is there anything you would like to say to our listeners? 
I don't know if you guys noticed, but in the novel, in Girls Burn Brighter, besides the friendship, or I should say in addition to the friendship, what kept these girls going was the scent of a jasmine flower or the sound of a river or like yogurt rice with banana or just a banana. And I did it very, very specifically because I wanted to make sure that their sources of joy were things that didn't require money or required very little money, that were actually divorced from money. I guess I wanted to say that in a time like this, where it feels, we don't even have to talk about why it feels like a difficult time, but it does very much feel like a difficult time. I think the natural world is an incredible source of solace can be if we actually take the time to be in it and to like actually open ourselves to it. So I think that would be my parting words. Just, you know, when things seem like they're becoming too much, I would say open the door and go outside and take a deep breath. <laughs> and I think the eternal is out there. And wow, then fight the good fight, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's, that's it's a beautiful true. message. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you, Shobha. Thank you, Shobha. We absolutely enjoyed talking to you today. So this was our discussion with Shobha Rao. And we are so thankful to her for her time, her openness, her honesty, and also her book recommendations. We are looking forward to reading more from her. And we hope you are too. For our next episode, we are reading It's About Damn Time by Arlen Hamilton. We hope you'll be reading with us. And until then, keep listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brown Girls Read Podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us a 5-star rating and a comment. You can support us at anchor.fm slash browngirlsread slash support. Your support will allow us to continue this podcast and bring more episodes to you. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Instagram, browngirlsreadpod and browngirlsread1 on Twitter. If you have book recommendations for us, you can leave us a comment or message on our social media and you can also subscribe to us on YouTube for more content.